Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're on the phone with a guy that is part of the Project Purple family, Coach John Honorkamp. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Great for uh, marathon season, which is, uh, as you know, kicking off Chicago and, and New York pending, looming. And uh, so, uh, yeah, a lot to look forward to. Awesome. The weather has finally turned here in New England and we've got summer is here. I mean, we are officially in summer, but it seemed like we were still stuck in like April for all of June with the amount of rain that we had here in the Northeast. But it looks like things have shifted here and summer's here. We've got some hot days and uh, that's what summer's about. Yeah, I mean, 91 here in New York today. I think part of that is it's on the degree to see the sunshine, but it, <laughs> I know personally it takes me a little while to acclimate to the heat, so although we're excited that it's here definitely give it some time i find that i'm like pretty good in the heat eventually is the key word there additionally i feel like yeah you just feel extra tired so obviously make sure you're hydrating and all that but uh give yourself some time to acclimate to the heat some people acclimate quicker than others but that's definitely a factor especially when you're starting out don't get discouraged if it's you're doing a three mile run and it feels awful and you're like how am i going to do 26.2 just know the weather is uh you know it can be a factor you know, whether it's coming off all the rain that we had or obviously the 91 degrees is out of the gates is um, definitely something that feels like you skipped you skip spring a little bit. I couldn't agree with you more. And so for our listeners at home, you know, Coach John has been on many podcasts in the past. Uh, he's part of our family here at Project Purple, handles all of our marathon training and endurance running uh, for all of our runners that come through our program from all over the country. And John, I think on today's podcast, what, you know, I think you you precluded it to it is like, you know, we've got the shift now and, and I was, uh, you know, with the weather and, and things are changing. It, it, you know, it went from rain. We skipped spring, it seems like. It was there were some cool temperatures. We've had some really wacky weather here in Connecticut. I mean, there was some sweatshirt weather I think two weeks ago, and and now we're you know 91 degrees I think for the second day in a row and shorts and, and t-shirts in the office here. So what are some of the things for our listeners at home? As you know, I think human nature has it right. Like people don't think about running marathons in the winter time when it's snowing and it's 20 degrees. But when it's 90 degrees and the sun is out and people are thinking about getting to the beach or, you know, the endorphins are now in a, in a right, you know, their endorphins are running and their their mental state's in a better mood because of the sun. What are some of the things to think about in terms of training? And we've got a vast audience. So some people might be on our teams. They might be training for the fall. They might be training in the summer. Uh, there might be late fall. There's a, there's also a difference. We've got some early marathons in the early fall that start like at the end of September, and then we've got those late fall marathons like New York and um, New Jersey and Philadelphia, which happen in that month of November. Um, so we've got some time here, so people can build some base, and some people may have a base that now are going to kind of leap into their training. So when we talk about weather, John, what are some of the things that people should be considering right now? Yeah, I mean, it's especially with, uh, you know, here in the Northeast, uh, for those uh, all over where it gets warmer. Yeah, I, I always try to get out and beat the heat a little bit. Uh, obviously, the sunshine's nice, but it does zap some of your energy. I was like, it's amazing how, like, I remember I used to run, like, high school and college cross country and track and field. And, like, as you know, with your sons, it's like, you know, 11 months out of the year you're competing. <laughs> yeah. And then you take, like, two or three weeks off, and you feel like you start back with a three-mile run. And like it's hot, you, you just feel like totally out of shape. And it's amazing how like you lose it pretty quickly. But 
I just, you know, don't worry about pace when you're, if you're starting out. You just want to get out there and you just get your routine down. I always tell people, get your schedule down. Not that you can't deviate from that, but if you have, like, okay, Tuesday's work, Thursday is, is, is a tempo or easy run. My long run day is, is going to be Saturday or is it going to be Sunday. Um, get that kind of figured out, what's going to work best for your schedule, knowing that things change and family and stuff and work obligations will pop up, of course. But I find if you have, like, a plan where you're, you're going to try to follow like the you know, the playbook for your for your your training, and as so when the like the uh, higher mileage volume runs and weeks come in, you already kind of have like that's the thinking. Oh, when am I when am I do my long run this week, or when is my speed? Comes more automatic if you kind of can break it, get that kind of routine down, and it, it it is a lot easier to do that now when you really only need to be running. You know, if you're not running at all, at least two or three days a week. Uh, if you're running three or four days a week, if you continue just doing that, but maybe you have a little bit longer run on the weekend, and that could be five miles. You know, long runs are longer run on the week, and when you start out, that could be three miles. But obviously, you have to grow. We'll talk a little bit later about what we build to, but walking to a schedule is going to help you stick to it versus kind of winging it every week. I find that people stick to their plan better um, if they, you know, kind of map it out and, and they know that, okay, Friday, I'm never going to run because I'm doing happy hour or whatever. That's cool. And get your runs in Monday through Thursday, take that Friday off, and then get your long run on the weekend. But I think schedule is is important. Um, just set yourself up for success, for sure. And then the weather, getting out earlier, getting out in the evening, you definitely want to be you know, conscious of the, uh, you know, the, what the heat brings and how it can make your running more difficult. So don't get discouraged if you have to run in the heat, but maybe do your best to kind of beat the heat by you know, running earlier and making sure you're hydrated and this way you're out of the gates, you're not discouraged with the program when we're, we're, as we're starting out with, you know, 18, 19, 16 weeks out. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think the, the heat is probably the biggest thing that we deal with here in the summer, I think all over the country, right? I mean, progressively the summers have gotten hotter if we look at it statistically here in the United States. So I think you just have to kind of use some common sense. I mean, I, I think you mentioned something too that I just wrote a note on is social schedule. I, I made the note and you talked about going out on, on Fridays. And I think in past experience, training for marathons, I think it's really critical. You know, if you have a social event, like on a Saturday night and you're set to run, you know, 18 or whatever the distance is on that Sunday. And, and you know, the weather doesn't look good, whether it's heat or rain, Maybe you switch that run to Saturday versus doing it on Sunday or, you know, really being conscious, I think, socially conscious of what your schedule is on a social level because um, if you are running and you want to put in the time and effort and energy into this, I think you got to have to kind of plan and be a little creative around those workouts. Don't you think so? Yeah, I think also it's, um, I mean, life happens when you're training for a marathon. So yeah. some of those things are positive, some of those things are negative, but, you know, I coach a lot of folks and they, you know, you're a certain age group, you have like weddings every summer. Like, you know, yeah. Some people I coach that might be in their late 20s, early 30s, they have a wedding, it seems like, every other week. Life balance, you want to have a good time. You don't have to like not drink for six months and like stay in. But to your point, you don't necessarily want to, you know, do a 20 miler after like bachelor party. Um, so, you know, allow yourself the flexibility to switch your rooms around due to weather, due to schedule, socially or work wise. Um, and definitely be flexible, and definitely you can move things around. And I always tell people, try to do 80% of your training program, because things are going to change, you're going to miss stuff, don't worry about it, you miss one or two runs, you just can't be missing like every other day, because um, you definitely need to put the work in, you can't fake the marathon. 
But um, you know, for a schedule, I think the key is uh, you know everything in moderation, and you don't have to become a monk to train for a marathon. And there's definitely work and, and, and regular social and family obligations that come across that you definitely want to enjoy and not skip. So if there's a family reunion or there's a, a wedding, you know, go to go to those events and, and enjoy them. Just sometimes you have to plan ahead, and you probably know that you have three weddings in, in a certain month, and so you just work around that where you can do a long run Friday morning before you skip town. You just have to get up at 4.30 and maybe you have a buddy so it's a little bit safer for you. But you can make those changes to kind of accommodate most. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I have a two-week vacation. What am I going to do? And, and you can train on vacation. Sometimes you actually have – you can definitely see more on foot running than you can walking. Oftentimes I'll do that where I'll go for a run in the morning and I'll kind of scout out things. So then when the day officially starts with the group you're with, like my wife or myself or my family or friends, oh, I saw this cool spot still there. Um, you kind of can do a lot in the morning. Obviously, you know, the morning's probably the best to do those uh, runs when you can. And if you have to miss a couple runs for vacation or your travel, that's okay. Just make sure that you're making it up um, in a way that's not cramming it at the end. But you you can do back-to-back long runs uh, on back-to-back weeks. If you know you have a stretch of travel coming up and then you just do your best can when you travel, but I definitely, I definitely call people out when they say, oh, I can't train, I have two weeks uh, on vacation. I'm like, pretty sure you can find the time to train on vacation. People will have more time. Just know that you have to, you know, make some adjustments, get up earlier, um, all those little things. But definitely, you know, having a balance and having flexibility in your training, I think is super important because you want to enjoy the training process and not look at it as this negative because you're missing all these things because you have to dedicate all your attention and energy on training. You definitely want to up your game a little bit, but you definitely want to, especially in the beginning. In the beginning, it's not a ton of mileage. As really when it gets later in uh, October, no, more of the October and September, late August is when you really start ramping up the mileage. So in the beginning, it's more just getting that schedule down, locking that in, and, and basically planning ahead for any key uh, travel that you know it's coming up. Sometimes work stuff pops up last minute. You just adjust there, but most of the stuff is you know, socially or family stuff is, 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 is marked on the calendar weeks or months in advance. If you know what's going on, just you know, work with a coach or work with me. Uh, I can always help you guys navigate when to move things around. But flexibility is key, and you need to enjoy the training journey and not, uh, and not skip all the, all the good stuff. It's great advice, man. And I think one thing I just wrote was balance. And I think that's the one thing that I think people need to find in their schedule is balance. You know, and it can be done. And, and just because you're running a marathon doesn't mean that you have to give up everything. And I, I think people always, I, I hear this often, John. Like, hey, I'm not drinking. It's marathon season. Why? <laughs> you know, like right. yeah. you can still you can still have a, a beverage, uh, alcoholic beverage. That is, I think we're we're, we're leading to here a glass of wine, a, a, a beer. You know, you could have two beers, but it's probably not smart to go out and have thirty beers. It's probably like you right. know, and, and if for people who do drink thirty beers on an occasion. Maybe a marathon is probably not a good idea. Or, you know, if you are going to commit to a marathon, you know, maybe drinking 30 beers after a long run is probably not a good idea, you know. So you have right. to have you have to find that balance in that, you know, and that, that's such important stuff there that you just said. All right. So I'm going to shift here. Um, talk about training tips. And I think and where I want to go with this, John, is, you know, we always have this saying where we say never try anything on race day, right? So what are some of the things that people can do during their training 
that maybe can be helpful with that. And this can be a variety of things, right? It could be shoes, it could be nutrition, it could be clothing, it could be uh, types of workouts, hills, flats, um, you know, so there's just so many variety of here, but what are some of like the key things in terms of tips that we can provide that people should be doing in their training? It could be even like alternative training, like in the pool or in the weight room or on the bike. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's nothing new on race day. So you don't want to wait till race week to figure out where you're going to eat the night before yeah. or morning of or to try new shoes. This is all stuff we have, like you said before, we have still a decent amount of time for marathon training. It's just kicking off. Um, so, once you get your schedule locked in and you're comfortable with what's going to be setting yourself up for the most success, um, obviously allowing for some flexibility. And, you know, if you don't know your, your go-to shoe, you have time to figure that out. I, I recommend taking notes. It gets a little dorky, but if you have a training log, it doesn't have to be very expensive, but you just write down your mileage for the day, what your pace was maybe, and, 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 and mark down what shoes you were wearing. And then when you get to the longer runs, yeah, if you're going for a 30-minute, 45-minute run, you really don't need the fuel. You get up and roll out of bed and, and, and run 45 minutes. It's once you get over, you know, 60 minutes you know, or more where you really need to be more focused on hydrating, you know, where, knowing where the water fountains are in this hot weather, uh, getting some goos or gels or whatever system down where you start documenting, whether it's here. You know, a shirt might feel really good after three miles, but after 15, um, you know, it might be rubbing you in a certain way. You might need to body glide. These are all things that, you know, you know, if it doesn't feel right at three miles, it's probably not going to feel good at 15 miles. So yeah. basically gear, fuel, hydration strategy. Um, some people have, you know, GI issues when they get longer into their run. That basically ties into what they're eating before, how they're hydrating throughout the week, what they're eating the morning of. Um, maybe they need to eat three hours before their run versus two hours or one hour. It's just kind of, and you probably know a little bit about yourself when it comes to that already even if you're new to running, but as you start introducing more volume, um, I think you'll learn a lot more about yourself. And it's document how you're feeling and what shoes and gear and even fuel, and, and then even eating for his meal, breakfast, and, and the night before dinner, you might see a trend where, wow, I feel really better when I have you know, steak versus pasta, and whatever it is. It's not, you know, everyone's a little bit different, but just to document this way, you know, after two months of training or 10 weeks of training, you could say, I, I, I hate those gels, I hate, you know, I, I hate them, and I, and I, I feel, you know, I get stomach issues, whereas these jelly beans or, these, or the honey stingers or whatever product, there's lots of products out there, um, just find out what works best for you, and the only way to do that is just trial and error, and do that early, even on, you know, you can do that on an hour run, even though you don't need goo as gels, you can start kind of playing around with just how it makes your body feel, but if you document things, like, you know, someone like me as a coach, I often ask all these questions, and going into a doctor and the doctor asks all these questions and oftentimes is you know oh how long have you been, has your, your knees been bothering you and you're like oh a couple of weeks and then your wife's like uh it's six months like, <laughs> like you, sometimes you do lose track of, of certain things if you have it all written down you can go to a coach or in a doctor in case you have some you know physical you know issues with your feet or something you say oh this started hurting you know july 3rd not oh two weeks ago or you know what i have you know, talking to a nutritionist, and you tell them what, what you're eating, and the more knowledge and information that you can provide a coach, nutritionist, doctor, the more they can take in and say, oh, I, can, I think it's this, or you should try that. When you don't write any of that down, it's tough to remember all these things you're doing and what works. So I think that's something that, uh, you know, you should have it. it's kind of nice to have a training log anyway, just so you can start counting miles. You're not doing too much miles all at once. 
But uh, document things. I think it's a little bit old school, but I think just having a little journal, even if it's just a piece of paper and you just write down and you're checking off a box that you, you know, for the plans that we send out or some other plans that you find, oftentimes they're just kind of mileage or minutes in, in, in boxes on a grid of a calendar. But you should mark down what you're doing and how you're feeling and what paces you're running. And, uh, rank, even if you're ranking the day, some of those calendars have like a smiley face, or brown face, whatever, you know, bad days, good days, so you start tracking. Hopefully, having more smiley days than, than crown faces. But I think that the more knowledge you have and the more documentation you have on things you're doing, it allows you to see trends potentially. And also, someone, if you're working with a coach or someone else, uh, to have more information. And so you can pinpoint what's working better than what's not working. And then you'll be healthier, you'll be happier, and then you'll probably have a more successful race. But that's definitely a piece that I always try to tell people initially. You know, do that now versus waiting until week 10 to start documenting things because you know the history of your training starts when you're you know, one foot in front of the other. So there's no reason to, um, to wait on that. But I think it's, a, it's an important thing to do to document what you're doing so you can see what's working and what's not working. And by race day, you know, you're locked in, you know what to eat, you know what to wear, and you're not wasting energy on all these things that, you know, you hear someone else is doing and someone else is eating a sandwich at two hours before, and then you start thinking, oh, maybe I should do that. You've never tried it. You know, trust what you know and what you can, what you do, and you know works best for you, and kind of ignore everyone else when it comes to gear and shoes and diet and nutrition and how often you fuel, because everyone's unique and everyone's different, and no blanket rules. You have to kind of figure that out on your own. Um, so that's kind of a, a key advice that I always give to, to document things. I wrote down document and practice. And I think the document piece, I mean, if we want to dial this back a little bit and get really super like lazy, I mean, if you use any type of device, I mean, I know I use my Garmin, right? And the Garmin links to Strava and Strava gives you the ability that I think to put notes in, right? So naturally, if you're using a running device, um, I also use a a secondary device called Whoop, uh, which is a, a fitness tracker that tracks all of my activity. And I know when I register that event, the run on my Garmin measures the miles. Whoop measures the activity. It actually asked me questions on how that activity was. Was I was it a strong workout? Was it a passable workout? Was it an awful workout? And was I able to complete it? My point in telling everyone this information, not to share what I use, but is that there's so many of these fitness trackers out there that do this stuff for us, right? That document all these things that we do from a running perspective. So if we wanna be really lazy and no one wants to write this stuff down, the odds are that your device, your smartphone, whether it's a Samsung or an Apple or some other device that you use, or your watch that you're using, is gonna document all this stuff. It's probably just a simple entry. I mean, I know for me, for Garmin, I mean, I can go in and make notes in my Garmin on those days as well, like, you know, that I can tag it and you can come up with something really simple. So the point here is, I I know, John, you recommend getting a notebook, which is a great idea, but if people are, you know, not uh, into writing it down or, you know, for whatever reason, they probably have a device that's tracking on their miles and they can simply just come up with a point system or you know come up with notes within that that system that they're using already to document their miles to to do that so it could be really yeah, easy my garmin like it, it tracks my sleep and my heart yeah. rate resting and, 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 and that's something that like it does automatically so absolutely definitely it's a good point as far as um you know it doesn't have to be um this arduous process where you're kind of 
writing a memoir. It could definitely be, it's, it, you know, there's definitely technology that helps you do the same thing that I was explaining for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, there's definitely things out there that can really simplify this and not even think about it, right? Like how many people think about, you know, they, they hit run on their watch and they go and then everything else sinks, right? Like it sinks to your Strava, it sinks to your, your Garmin monthly and all that stuff like goes right into it. So it's really, really easy. So awesome stuff there. And I think the other thing too, practice, and that was something that I learned early on, like, you know, and one thing, the question that I wanted to ask here is, do you think, and, and we'll just stick with the marathoning here, if you're running a Sunday marathon, if running your long runs always on Saturday affects your performance if your marathon's on a Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, you know, you can kind of uh, practice as close as possible to, the, you know, so Sunday might be a better day, but if Sunday's a terrible day, you, like, you, you go to church, spend all day with your family, and, and running's just tough to do, except that one race when you're able to except your schedule, like doing it Saturday is fine. Um, you don't have to, you know, I always tell people it, it is wise, like, you know, for New York, for those who live in New York, and you're running New York, and Staten Island half is a nice thing in a way because you know, you go to Staten Island, it's three weeks before the race, it's kind of a nice dress rehearsal, getting up early, getting on the ferry. Um, and so you forget your shorts, or you're, you're, you know, you, you forget your fuel, and these are all kind of little mistakes you can kind of fix before the race day. So that's something where it's and getting up at five o'clock and maybe now you can't you might want to get up at five o'clock and then run at ten o'clock because that's kind of more traditional to what New York is. You're not running at six in the morning or seven yeah. in the morning like you are, baby. So all anything you can do to replicate it to to a T is, is is better. But I wouldn't lose too much sleep over if you do all your long runs on Saturday and your long run in the race is Sunday. Um, you know, other than maybe you know taking that Friday off if you did the important race or. Take kind of half day at work, or they can treat you kind of have a long week of work, and then Friday comes along, and then Saturday morning um, can be a quick turnaround. So if, if you know if the race is on Saturday and it's the opposite, and you're able to run on Sunday all the time, you have a basically that Saturday to kind of relax up, to kind of rest up for that long run. And if the race is on Saturday, you don't have that same thing. So I say you know with, you know just do what's best for your schedule, and if it lines up where your race, you're able to do your long run on the race day, great. But if you can't, like, I would not sleep over that. That's not going to be a huge factor, in my opinion. There's no substitute for putting those miles in, man. You got to get the yeah. miles in, regardless of when you do them. And I think, to your note, I know in previous years, because of traveling, and talked about for a second here, for those who travel, some people might be traveling on a Sunday or Saturday just because of their job, right? They're going from place to place. Doing a long run on a Friday or a Monday still counts. <laughs> it still matters. So uh, you just have to, and I think going back to what we what we originally started here, talking about scheduling, you know, vacation-wise, I know for me in the past, you know, we've driven down to the Outer Banks, which is like a 12-hour ride. You know, we'll leave on Friday at midnight, you know, to get there uh, late Saturday or early Saturday, I should say. So, you know, I, I lose out on that Saturday run. So doing that either Thursday or Friday or waiting till I get there and get acclimated to Monday, you know, is not a big deal. It's just a matter of getting those runs in. Right. Absolutely. So schedule and balance and document and practice, so such so, so important keys here. All right, I'm going to shift gears here, and I know with the weather being a little bit better, as I mentioned before, we've got 
access to some different type of training and types of workouts. So I want to talk a little bit about that a little bit and how that, um, and again, I'm sticking on the marathon theme here. And I know we've got some people that are running half marathons. Uh, Falmouth is coming up, which is kind of a weird distance, but if you're running a marathon and you know, those are easy to jump into, then, you know, in the, in the, in the early fall or late summer, there's a, you know, us track and field, there's a, the 20 K championship here in new Haven, which is a very popular race. You've got the new balance, uh, mile coming up in the city. That's hugely popular, but for, for, our topics here in discussion, we're going to kind of focus on the marathon training and, and everything since we have so many marathoners in the fall. But to get back here on the question, types of workouts, John, let's talk a little bit about track workouts. You can get into the beach and do like some speed work on the, I, I've done speed work on the beach and that can be helpful, just lower impact, but also harder. There's plenty of hill training you can do now because you've got access to hills where you didn't necessarily have that in the winter time with the elements and the snow and the ice and same goes for the track. So what are your thoughts on kind of implementing those types of environments here in the training as we, we talk about this marathon training? Yeah, and actually the, the, the second page of the programs that I sent out to our Project Purple family is I have a little bit of a glossary and it just goes over you know, regular runs, each days I'm looking at it right now, flex days, intervals, as you feel days, tempo runs, fart legs, long runs, and then I have quizzes which are really kind of in-plan races that kind of help you gauge where, how, you're, how you're progressing and also kind of makes it a little more interesting if you're not training for 16 weeks and then not kind of testing yourself. It's like coming to the test or the quiz. Whereas with the marathon itself is a final exam and the quizzes are more just kind of races that kind of help you along the way. But it, sometimes it can get lost in those terms and it gets confusing or it's intimidating. A lot of people just run three days yeah. a week and they do one longer day and then and then some days they run harder and some days they feel good. Some days so then that and they finish the marathon and they're happy and that's great. So it doesn't mean that you cannot do that. But it is helpful, I find, having varying uh, workouts where. The long run is pretty standard, and you know, the regular easy runs are pretty standard. But, uh, like for example, interval training, that's basically another word, is speed work, where it's really, if you're you know, running a nine-minute pace um, and you want to get a little faster, get a little fitter, you go to the track or you go to a hill or you you know you do you do faster running for smaller doses of time and get your mind and body used to running maybe eight-minute pace, so then your pace becomes like 45 instead of nine minutes. Um, but I also think, Really important to know your paces and kind of even if it's you know easy, medium, and hard. Because on race day, you're going to need to run very easy for a long time, and then you get tired at the end. It's very easy to go out too fast. I think doing track workouts or interval training, which you don't need to do in the track, you know, I do it on Center Drive here in Prospect Park. The middle, it's almost about eight, basically 800 meters, half mile. I'll run down, take a break, run back up. Now one way is downhill, one way is uphill, it's on a hill. Yeah. So I kind of get a little hill in there too. But, you know, I'll, I'll run faster than I would. Maybe I'll run 5K pace uh, and then take a minute or two rep, you know, six repetitions. And that gets me used to running faster, which I think is helpful because you don't need to run that fast for the marathon for sure. But it, I also think just running every day, and I love running. I made a career out of it, but I'm not knocking it. But I can't get bored sometimes. We don't always want to do that if we go out for a run. So doing a hill workout, which is basically hitting speed where you find a hill, you sprint up it after warming up properly, walk down or jog down and depending on the length of the hill you could do you know four reps or eight reps or 12 reps and it just breaks up your run and you use different muscles differently and i think it's just more fun and interesting and then you have like you know you consider that a hard day where you're doing hills or intervals and the next day is easy or the next two days are easy then maybe you do your long run 
So a variation is key, and I, I often talk about pace separation, and what I mean by that is most people, a lot of people will run at the same pace for everything. And, and it, so they're not, they don't know how to push themselves yet, or they don't care to push themselves, they're just happy to be running, which is totally fine. But they either, two, one or two things happen. Either they're not running hard enough, or they're just running too easy all the time, or they're running too hard every day. And pace separation, I mean, like my easy run might be nine, nine minute pace, but my, you know, 5K race pace might be six minute pace. It's like three minutes difference. It's a pretty wide pace separation. I know a lot of new runners that they might race a 5K at nine minute pace, but their like easy run is like 9.30. So they're like 30 second difference between their hard pace and their easy pace. So the idea I think is to kind of to separate that to make that gap wider. So you're really recovering on your easy days where you run you know, 10 minute pace or whatever it is for you. And then when you're on quality, you're, you're running a lot faster. Um, sometimes I'll have people do tempo runs, which are kind of a, I call that kind of an annoying run pace where you know, you're comfortable and you're just kind of getting used to the mind and, mind and body being in that grind mode. And that's kind of replicates the end of the marathon where you're kind of, you know, you're in a lot of pain, you have to push through. Um, and you have to be uncomfortable in training because I hate to break it to you, marathon will get quite uncomfortable. Hopefully that's the last few miles, not the last 10. But in training, you're doing these different workouts of, uh, you know, tempo runs, farlicks. Farlicks is just more of a random speed work where you might run from one pole to the next in the park and it's not a set interval on a track so it can be pretty similar to, to interval training it, it, it's just more random um, and more kind of playful Bartlick is a, it's a Swedish word and it means speed play so it's just more going out and making up the speed and kind of mixing it up you know if you see a hill you run the hill you see a pole you run to the pole you make sure you take the rest in between some of those hard pushes but it's really not like rocket science it's just varying paces your body is different um, paces, but also levels of discomfort. And I always tell people the marathon pace is not hard. It's just hard to do for 26 miles. And it's super easy to go out too fast. If you're someone who runs your best 5K and 10K ever in the marathon, guaranteeing you're not going to, you're probably not going to feel too good at the end. So you want to make sure you know what your paces are, even if it's hard, easy, medium. And you want to make sure your marathon pace is mostly easy and it just gets hard at the end. You might, you might not be picking it up, but you're more kind of hanging on a little bit. But varying paces, I think it mixes it up, keeps it more interesting, gets you fatter, uh, not fatter, gets you fitter and faster. <laughs> um, and it makes you, uh, I just think it's, you know, I get bored after a couple of weeks, jumping in a 5K. Muscle Park over here, Muscle Park Track Club is a great thing. They have like every other Wednesday at 7.10, they have like a $7 5K. And uh, I, I use them as my tempo, hard tempo run. I run a little bit harder in a race than I with other people than on my own. Um, and most towns, like, you know, will have 5Ks or 10Ks on the weekend. Use them as, work, as workouts, you know. You know, at the beginning of the 5K every other week is, you know, ideally I'm getting faster, but I'm getting excited, I'm getting motivated, I'm, I'm seeing progress, which is, I think it's easier to be motivated in your training if you see, you know, you drop a waist size, you um, start feeling better on runs, make it to 10 for the first time and all these kind of kind of um kind of landmarks or, or, or along the timeline of, of achievements help you you know get stay motivated because yeah it can be a grind when you do an 18 miler in, in, in august or whatever it is super humid and your pace might be super slow and those are days where you don't care about pace you just focus on effort and getting the minutes in uh, and there's other days where you really want to zero in lock in on growing a faster pace and callousing your mind and body push the, uh, the, your limits a little bit because you're going to be pushed and you're going to be challenged on race day. So if you never challenge 
more equipped, more uh, ready to execute a race plan because you've done all this training and types of different types of training that allow you to know what a 5K pace for you is and what a 10K pace for you is and then the half of me. And if you don't know that, uh, you're more likely to hit the ground going out too fast, which again, probably the number one mistake other than not feeling properly um, on race day. So definitely, you know, join a local group that typically is doing speed work once a week. Is definitely a lot of different groups out there. Um, but you also can do speed work on a treadmill. You go there and you do, you know, two minutes off, one minute off. Very simple workout that, you know, challenges you, gets you used to different paces. And it doesn't take much thought. It doesn't have to be complicated, although when you start reading all these charts and pace predictors and, and, and all these other things, goal pace versus actual date pace and all these things, it can be overwhelming and intimidating. So keep it simple, but in that simplicity, mix in some um, variations of, of paces because I think it'll, it'll do a lot of good for you. I love that. Keep it simple. And I think you hit the nail right on top of the head when you said it can become very complex. And I think anything that draws attention people try to make it complex when these are really simple solutions and i think you mentioned a bunch of them there i love just saying fartlek so i'm going to bring that up because i think that's just a funny <laughs> word but I, I you know you were talking about fartlek and i had that as one of my questions like what is a fartlek and you know i i saw the training guide and you did a great job explaining that so for our runners who run with project purple coach john provides them with a training guide and that glossary of terms and um it's just I've done that myself, that type of workout, just not realizing that it's an actual fart lick, John, because I don't have access to a track all the time, and I'll run my normal route that I run, and it could be anywhere from three to you know, eight miles or 10 miles, depending if I take a couple roads, but I'll sprint you know, every other telephone pole or you know, two telephone pole lengths and then recover, and so that's just... Keep it simple. I mean, I think the, the, the simpler that people think about this, the more fun it is and the more success hopefully you'll have. But I think the workouts, keep it simple, but we go back to like practice, having balance and schedule are also keys to this. So if you follow those things along the way, and there was a set agenda here, and there's a reason for that, right? Like everything that we've said so far, following all these or checking the box of each one of these, you know, will determine a successful, you know, campaign in training, you know, and you'll have a great time. So I appreciate that. I think that. a lot of people, yeah, some people will like say feel good on a certain run, and they, or they go out and back and they finish faster because they're warmed up and they're basically doing a tempo run yeah. because they feel good. They're running faster and they're pushing themselves and they're they're the last mile or two faster. It's, you know, they're doing it, but that type of variation, it's just more kind of almost subconscious. It's not planned. Correct. Um, You're not doing that every run and you're allowing yourself to recover. But I think a lot of people are are doing some of these fancier, they seem to be fancy terms. They're kind of already doing them without knowing it. Like you're not already doing it. You just don't know it. Yeah, just keep it simple. All right, my last uh, my last topic here, and then I've got some speed questions for us. Not speed in general, but just questions that we'll go through quickly. And you and I have talked about this topic often, and we get a lot of this feedback from our runners here at Project Purple. The philosophy of time on your feet versus mileage. And especially training with the marathon, um, you know, there are certain, I've seen certain programs where, you know, you have 
five runs over 20 miles and and you know i've heard from runners that you know they've gone and run 27 miles on a training run no one should be running 27 miles on a training run unless they're doing an ultra marathon that's just my opinion i don't know unless you're an elite athlete and that's a different story but let's just say you're you're running this for charity and and you anticipate finishing between four and six hours i think what the average finish time is like what 410 412 i think in that range you know as an average but let's talk a little bit about that, John, um, you know, in terms of long runs and just being on your feet. And I think there's been kind of this, like, I wouldn't say it's a stigma, but there's this thought about like, Hey, you have to get 22 miles in on your long run, even if it takes you nine hours, which I think yeah, is I think crazy. The long run is, is super important. Cause you, you know, again, it's um, the time on your feet, the marathon, yeah, you know, New York, yeah, might be a little slower on average, but yeah, it, it was we're running and get anywhere between four and four and a half on average, but um, you know, I think that's why some of these programs there's just a bunch of numbers and boxes that it doesn't know who's using the plan. It's just like a guide, and yeah. every training program should be written in pencil because you know that's where the coach comes in and, and changes things because of schedule or how you're feeling, or maybe you have a little injury here or there. But um, you know, there's definitely the old school is you run five 20 milers or even more. Um, most plans don't have you running 27. I think maybe most of the ones I've seen you might go to 23 or 22. Yeah. Maybe 24, but there, you know, a lot of them are just 20. So the, my first time is I'll have just to eat. Um, and, you know, if it's one of these things where if they get hurt on the first 20 miler and they have four more of them, they're going to be really burnt um, by the time they get to the race day. So I think less is more. Um, and my first marathon, I ran a, a, my three longest runs were 17, 19, and 21. You know, I just want to stay healthy, and, and people often say, well, if I've only run 18 or 20, how am I going to run 26 on race day? And I, I tell them, the magic of the day will get you there. And the issue is when you're injured, if you've done too much, you're standing on a cast on race day, that's what you want to definitely avoid. But I often do a lot of runs by minutes, because then you're not so focused on the pace. Now, if you're doing a targeted interval race, a race or interval workout or a quiz race where you want to see where you're at, you definitely want to have a pace in mind. But... Um, Often, like, easy days, just on the programs that I develop, I just say 30, 35 minutes. I don't have mileage even attached to it. Um, on my long runs, I'll put both options. I'll, like, for example, week 13 in my three- or four-day week plan, um, it's 15 to 18 miles or 180 minutes, like kind of whichever comes first. Uh, Timing your feet, get the minutes in. Another thing is, if you are someone who's on the northern part of the four-and-a-half hours, your 22-miler might be five hours for you. Have my runners running a five-hour training run? Um, even though if they're going to run six hours on race day, I just feel like you're more likely a five-hour run is a pretty big grind. Like I think I'll max. I typically have people run no more than three and a half hours for a long run, even if they're running six hours. But if you're looking, if you're looking at just mileage and you're a seven-hour marathon and you're trying to do a 22-miler, you know, you're out there for a six-hour run. I mean, yes, on race day you have to do that and you have to kind of acclimate to that and be ready for it. But I just think that that's you're going to do more harm than good if you're. You're doing three five-hour runs, um, so it all depends on your pacing and stuff. But I think most people, you know, building to a three-hour run, three and a half-hour run, is uh, probably a, a smarter thing. Or even if you're worried about that, you might do. And some programs out there, like the Hanson method, is it might only go to the 16, but you're doing 16 and then 10 the next day. So you're doing 26 over two days, and that's you know, some people that maybe just you know are, are injury prone and they you know, they're getting hurt at 20, 22 miles. They don't want to do that training. At least for the race, but I love I most of my runs are based off minutes, and then after the fact, I'm like, oh, what pace was I running? And obviously, the 
driving and the garments and all that kind of you can map for you, so you don't have to worry about it too much. But I'll go for a 30-minute run or a 60-minute run, and, and then you know, at the end of the week, I know what the mileage is because you don't want to increase your mileage too rapidly. There's the whole 10% rule where you don't want to increase your mileage more than 10% each week, week to week, so you don't build up too quickly and kind of get injured. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm more of a minutes guy where I don't, you know, it's an end kind of do the math and mileage after it. But um, there's some people that want to, you know, want to get 20 and they feel like that's going to give them confidence and, and or they want to do three twenties. That's, you know, again, if you're healthy and you, you know, you can do that, but it's definitely, it gets into those things where it's, um, you know, some even little, your knees bothering you and you're better off getting on the treadmill or doing, um, you know, you know, kind of a elliptical or getting in the pool and cross training. Now, that's another thing we haven't talked about yet. Like this call is, uh, you know, try to get some cross training in your program in your routine early because if you do hit a hiccup and you have to do more cross training, you're already used to doing it. You're already on the elliptical. You're in the pool once a week. You're just doing more of it. Oftentimes, I'm not victim of this where I I'm guilty of this where it's you know if I'm healthy, I'm running. I don't want to do much else. But if I'm cross training and I have to do more of it because of an injury, it's not like what's what's the elliptical or where do I go for a pool? It's kind of already in your routine. You just have to. Years where you do an extra day in the pool or an extra cross training day, maybe in the elliptical. If you're never doing cross training and you also have to, I find that that's a tough transition to kind of sort out what's the best cross training for you and what you're more likely to do and the logistics of getting to a pool or a gym. If you're already doing cross training to some degree, I find that A, you're probably going to be less likely to be injured in the first place, but if you do have to take a down week to cross train, like you're just amping up your cross training, not starting over. Um, if that makes any sense, but that uh, minutes is, uh, I think, a smart way to go. It's kind of, um, it's more of a new school thing than, 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 than set mileage than, than the older plans. But uh, also, whatever works. If you're a mileage person, you need to know the exact mileage. And, you know, I had a buddy who, um, yeah, he, he had to stop his runs on the five minute increment. So if he was 53 minutes, he'd run the 55. Or if it was 49, he'd run the 50. Like that's just more of like a, like a, a routine thing or a superstition type thing. So, you know, whatever works for you. But um, I, I, my programs, I give both for long runs. I give mileage and minutes. Tell people whatever comes first. Um, it's probably a safer way of doing it. Cool. I, I agree with you. I think, I think, you know, I've believed in the ideology since we've met and uh, I think it's right on point and we've had great success with our team and no one's ever had a problem not finishing and having a great plan. But again, if we go back to what I originally said before, it's kind of like checking the box, like all of these things fit with each other, the schedule, the balance, you know, the type of workouts you're doing, if you can, you know, fit in some of these training, track, tempo, fart licks, and then, you know, time and, and, you know, putting the time in, as I said in the very beginning, like, you got to put the time in if you're going to have an enjoyable experience and whatever goal that may be, depending on the person is up to the person, right? Like some people have a goal to finish in 3.30 and you've got to put that particular training in for that, which will be altered with time and types of workouts and some of the things you do ahead of time for that. And some people just want to finish and have a good time and not get injured. And, you know, there's a set kind of schedule for that as well. So it's great stuff there, John. I'm going to shift gears here. I've got three questions. Hopefully we'll go through these quickly. And then we're going to wrap things up. So first question is, what are some of the best things that people can do for recovery? 
and we have not talked much about recovery other than uh, you mentioned some of the recovery just in speed tra- speed working and you know doing track workouts or fartleks and like bringing your heart rate down and then getting it back up and how that helps like gaining speed but in terms of recovery the run is over your workout's over what are some of the things that people should do yeah i know i think recovery sometimes is uh, rest days are, can be more important than the hard days you know so it's a great question great point um there's a nutrition piece to this where if you do a hard run or a long run, um, you definitely want to get, you know, there's like this, I'm not a nutritionist, but I've talked to many of them and, and they, the rule of thumb is like within 20 minutes, get some protein in your system right away. Sometimes you're not that hungry after a run, especially on a long run. Um, so get, you know, get some immediate protein in your system and then have a nice proper meal within two hours. So you're, you know, even if you don't feel like eating, you obviously you ran two hours, you definitely need to, to, to recovery is, is hydrating and get the nutrients in your system to, to start uh, with the inflammation that you're creating when you're doing uh, longer and harder efforts. Um, so that's definitely the tr- nutrition piece of the recovery. Um, another thing I, I often tell my runners is find your dream team. And what I mean by that is find a coach, find a running team partner. But part of that dream team is typically a massage therapist that knows runners. I have a woman here in New York City, Claudia Chapel, I've been going to for 20 years. Anyone in New York, I send to Claudia. Usually it's almost not too late, but it's like they should have been going to her like once a month for kind of like an oil maintenance checkup before going there with an injury. But like recovery, you know, yeah, you can foam roll and stretch and do all that stuff on your own and um, take ice baths, which are you know, painful, but can, you know, jumping in a, a cold bath for 10 or 15 minutes after a run is, is, is good for, for recovery. But massage therapy, I think it's, it's super. I mean, the pros obviously have their, they probably get some massage today because what they're doing that can get pretty pricey and then you know, we also have work and lives and families to deal with but go see massage therapists at least once a month maybe maybe even once every two or three weeks to get that kind of because you might have some, like a tight hamstring and i haven't realized it because the massage therapist gets in there it's like ooh. so that's huge for recovery is, is, is massage and kind of in that, in the, and, and foam rolling and, and that so um and then you know give yourself rest between hard days you know you don't want to do a fart like on tuesday and then do hills on Wednesday. Um, sometimes you might do a race or a hard workout on Saturday and kind of have to do a long run on Sunday. That day I wouldn't do a hard long run. I would just do an easier paced long run, so things like that. So sequencing of, uh, of the hard days and easy days is part of recovery and, and, and then nutrition and then the even massage, I think, are two, I guess, three quick points that I would, that I would say on recovery. I love ice baths, so I, I'm gonna. I, I think they're the best thing in the world. We just started. Pretty cheap too, right? What's that? Pretty cheap. Yeah, they're real Pretty cheap. They're better in the summer than they are in the winter. Uh, it's a lot oh, easier yeah. to get jump into uh, an ice bath when it's 90 degrees out versus when it's like 30. But uh, I, I, they've worked for me really well. And I mean, I think the one thing I'll say about recovery is everyone is different. I mean, I've seen people that love chocolate milk, you know, and I just can't do that. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it varies. And I think this is where we go back to something we said before is like practice. You know, this is like the time when you've got to practice and kind of figure that stuff out. I mean, there's so many... Um, I agree with the, the massage therapy, better to, to find a good one now and, and like routine maintenance. I've always kind of seen a chiropractor regularly since I started all my running journeys. Now there's so many of these devices though, John, 
I know we're working. Normatec sleeves and all those things. Yeah, out. like there's Normatec, there's the Hyperice, there's the Theragun. Um, not to say that that replaces that uh, professional therapist or like a professional chiropractor, but these are just kind of like little things I think you can do along the way to kind of help you. But I think seeing a professional therapist, you know, someone to do therapy, um, getting massages and, you know, even yoga I found in the past, like going to an actual yoga studio and getting, you know, stretched out properly is, is, is super critical and, and can help in that recovery process. So these are all great stuff. Next question. And this is something that comes up often that I hear from runners. And we were actually just having lunch here in the office and a couple of our staff members are running uh, marathons here in the fall. And this question came up. So I wrote it down. Should I ever run my race pace on a training run? All right. So, yeah, this is a good question. Um, I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, it does change a little bit for, if you're running a 2.30 marathon versus a 6.30. Um, you know, if you're running 2.30 for the marathon, the recovery pace is going to be a lot slower. Someone who's running seven hours might be running faster in training than they would in racing, or they might even be running slower. So there is some pace-specific kind of, I guess, um, kind of guidelines. But uh, I was telling you my story last last marathon that I ran with Daniel Home and Meb in New York last year, and my problem was I did all my all my long runs were with these pace groups and different training groups that I helped coach, and so I was not selfish enough to focus on my own training. I was like, oh, I did twenty; it didn't really matter as much. I, I was a little concerned about the race because on race day I had to run like seven tenths of compete pace, and I had not done that in training. I'd done interval training at 5.30 pace, 6.30 pace, and, you know, that was helpful. And I did you know, plenty of easier runs, so I was, was definitely doing well with the recovery. But I did not do one long run at 7.15 pace. And that backfired because I got to, like, 16. And my legs were just, like, shocked because they weren't used to that pace for that long period of time. And so depending on what pace you're running, you definitely should probably incorporate the marathon goal pace into your long run. Maybe that's the last 5 or 10 of a long run. Uh, maybe it's the middle of a long run. Typically, it would be the beginning because you kind of want to warm up a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes I, a lot of my runners will run a half marathon, you know, four to six weeks, three weeks out of from their big race. If they're feeling great, I have them rate that. If they're tired, which oftentimes they are because, you know, they're you know, week 13 of their 16-week plan, I have them run marathon pace for that half. And, it, you know, it might be a little challenging because they're tired, but with the taper coming up, Give the, give your legs back and then you're resting up and then it's a good kind of practice and maybe it does feel easy because you're our fitter. So uh, easy answer is, is is absolutely, but there is some caveats there depending on what paces you're running and, and, and what your easy pace is in relation to your fast pace um, between 2.30 and 6.30 um, for sure. Awesome. I love it. Last question and probably the most important question. What is the biggest mistake to avoid in your training? If you had to choose one, John, and this might be personal preference. I mean, I, you know, this is subjective, I guess I would, I would preface the question or preface the answer. Yeah, I guess, um, cause I mean, I'm just tempted to say like going out too fast in the race, but you're talking yeah. about training and yeah. off, which is more important timing now is doing too much too soon. Sometimes you're like, all right, July 1st, I'm starting my training. I'm, so, I'm stoked. I'm going to, you know, not drink for four months. I'm going to eat vegetables or whatever you're going to do. <laughs> and then you're running every day. I mean, when you were, you were used to running zero days a week or one day a week. So you don't want to ramp up. You want to be excited. You want to kind of curb that enthusiasm and kind of string it along and kind of gradually build into it. So if you're running zero miles a week, don't go to 30 miles in one week. You know, start off with two or three days a week of running. Um, 
that schedule down. So I'd say the biggest thing to avoid is too much too soon. Um, you don't want to. You also don't want to. You're running 20 miles a week. You don't want to run 40 next week. You want to gradually build that overall mileage, and it's that goes. It's the same for your long run. You don't want to go from six mile long run to a 12 mile long run. I mean, that, you'll be fine if you do that, but if you're trying to be smart, and, 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 and over time, you know, you, you might. I wouldn't go up more than two or three miles, or even 30 minutes for the minute, folks. Uh, in your long run from week to week, and then I wouldn't do too much mileage um, out of the gates because then you start off injured, all the shin splints, all these other issues, and then your training cycle. You're taking you know, cross training weeks, you know, weeks to cross train because you can't run in week three or four. That's not the best way to to run a good marathon. John, that is so on point, man, and I appreciate you saying that for me personally because I think I've been running a lot this month, and uh, it's definitely the mileage is dramatically up from over last month but i was sick a couple days this week and i didn't run and i I think i missed only like three days this month and that's a big jump from last month and i I, we were just talking about when we were in duluth the team went on a long run and i could feel my hamstring starting to give me a hard you know start to give me problems a little bit and i was looking at the training i'm training for the twin cities marathon and i was looking at it this week and i was like oh it's only like 60 minutes and i'm like oh, i think i could do like eight miles or 10 i could probably double i could probably do like 90 minutes worth of a long run and now that just uh reaffirmed that i am just gonna do 60 minutes and i'm gonna take a rest day on sunday so i love it i love it man it's great stuff sometimes you have to hear that though well, that's amazing. I, 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 I always had a coach and, you know now i kind of coach myself but um it's sometimes it's, you need someone to kind of break the tie or like yeah cross-trying and someone says take the day off kind of let you off the hook um versus just sitting there all day trying to wrestle with me you know, should i run should i run sometimes it's nice to have someone just take kind of make the decision for you and, and move on so it's yeah it's good to hear it you know over and over again if you need it awesome awesome stuff well john thank you for all you do for our project purple runners thank you for taking time uh out of your day to spend with us on our podcast and i just am gonna sum this up is just you said something just that i wrote down here two things actually that i really highlight is plan and pencil folks and keep it simple because this is a, a journey. It's an ever-shifting journey and training for any type of a race. In particular, I know we talked a lot about marathon training, but I mean, this can be said for half marathon, 10K, and depending on what your goals are, really determine the path and direction and time and distance and, and everything will factor into that. But I appreciate you sharing that knowledge with our audience and the public here and all that you do for Project Purple. And I cannot wait. I know we're going to be uh, we're gonna be having some training runs in the summer into the fall in the New York City area, so we'll be announcing those soon for our runners. But I cannot wait for the fall uh, for New York. We've got Chicago, Detroit, Twin Cities, and it's just going to be a really, really fantastic fall for Project Purple. So appreciate all the love and support, John. Hey, you got it. And one thing, I you know, don't be shy to reach out to me, folks. I know I usually give out these big guys. Uh, again, they're just guides. Some people I was emailing with just today. They're using some other programs. Not going to hurt my feelings. There's a lot of different programs out there. A lot of them are free. But Coach John at ProjectPurple.org, and that's J-O-H-N. That's Coach John. Send me a note. Say, hey, I have a question. No, I'm amazed what questions I get. Nothing too silly. I've heard it all. So don't, don't feel like you're bothering me if you, have, if you have a question about your program, whether it's one I send out or it's utilizing someone else, because I'm a resource that I work with you know, pretty closely, and that's why I'm here. So, again, I'm, I'm used to answering emails about running. I might get 
carpal tunnel when we get into the winter <laughs> month. But yeah. uh, don't be shy. You know, please, please reach out to me with any questions you have because that's why I'm here. Awesome. So for our listeners at home, even if, if the general public has questions, John, they can reach you at Coach John at ProjectPurple.org. And for our runners that are training, reach out. It's a free service for our runners on our run team. And that's another great advantage of running with Team Project Purple. On that, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah.